0: This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to Master the MRCPCH, our podcast where we chat to the experts here at Great Ormond Street Hospital to give you an overview of the topic on the RCPCH curriculum. My name is Dr. Ryan Thomas and I'm the Digital Learning Education Fellow here at Great Ormond Street. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Shireen Tadros, a consultant in clinical genetics about neurofibromatosis type 1. In this podcast we'll be covering the clinical features, genetics, differential diagnosis and touch on the management of this condition. This topic corresponds to the RCPCH theory exam syllabus under genetics and dysmorphology including diagnosing and managing common genetic conditions and patients with neurofibromatosis type 1 could pop up in the clinical exams. You may be asked to review their skin or neurology for example. It's been great to hear from some of you via social media. If you want to get in touch, our details will be at the end. And we do hope you enjoy this week's episode. So thank you, Shireen, for coming on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Before we get going, do you mind telling us what you'd like people to get out of listening to today's podcast?
1: Sure. So it would be great if after listening to this podcast, listeners were able to describe the genetic basis of NF1 to outline the clinical features of the condition and broadly to understand the principles of management.
0: That sounds perfect. So shall we start with an overview of what neurofibromatosis type 1 is? Absolutely. So neurofibromatosis type
1: 1 is a genetic condition characterised by a constellation of clinical features, including cafe au lait patches, freckling in the axilla and the groin, lish nodules in the eye and cutaneous neurofibromas. It has an incidence of around
0: 1 in 3,000. Perfect. And I understand that neurofibromatosis type 1 is a genetic condition. It is. It's caused by pathogenic, in other words,
1: disease-causing variants in the gene NF1, which codes for a protein called neurofibromin. Now, the gene is called NF1, but people also use NF1 as shorthand for the condition. So don't get confused by that. The variants that cause disease are what we call loss-of-function type variants, In other words, the function of the protein product is diminished. We don't fully understand the function of neurofibromin. We do know it acts as a tumor suppressor. It's a protein which is produced by many different types of cells, including oligodendrocytes and Schwann cells. So when there's a pathogenic variant in the gene, a disease-causing variant, we don't have that normal regulation of cell growth, which causes certain cells to grow in an uncontrolled way. And that's why we see certain types of usually benign tumours in this condition. Neurofibromatosis type 1 is inherited in an autosomal dominant manner, which means that each child of an affected person is at 50% risk of inheriting the condition. However, the NF1 gene has the highest new mutation rate of any known gene. Around half of affected individuals will have what we call a de novo variant. In other words, the genetic change has happened for the first time in them and their parents aren't affected.
0: Thanks, Shireen. I think I am going to call it NF1 for the rest of this podcast. So just warning you to avoid confusion. So shall we move on to think about the clinical features of this condition? Sure. And yeah, it is a bit of a mouthful to say neurofibromatosis type one. So that's <laughs> that's really
1: why people abbreviate it. So we can split the clinical features broadly according to system. Firstly, we can think about the skin and the cutaneous features. Most people, around 90%, will have multiple cafe au lait macules. It's difficult to appreciate this on a podcast, but the cafe au lait macules are named after the French for milky coffee. So depending on how milky you like to take your coffee, that's describing essentially the level of pigmentation you would expect to see on Caucasian skin. So cafe au lait macules tend to have well-defined borders. They're flush with the skin, so you can't feel them if you run your hand over them, and they have uniform pigmentation. there can also be freckles in the axilla and in the groin. So it's really important to look for these when you examine the patient. You may also see and feel lumps on the skin or under the skin. These are neurofibromas, benign nerve sheath tumors. They can grow anywhere there are nerves, so you may see them anywhere in your examination and they feel usually quite soft. They often start to show up during puberty. So if you're seeing very young children, you might not see any. And they're benign with extremely low malignant potential, although it's important that patients know to seek help. If one grows particularly quickly or becomes particularly painful, they may cause cosmetic concerns or they may rub on clothing. The classic is where in the area of a bra strap that often causes a lot of rubbing. You may also come across plexiform neurofibromas. These are much rarer. Only about a third of people with NF1 will develop them. They're much larger neurofibromas, and they tend to sort of look and feel as if they're several small lumps that are bunched together, and they may be present at birth or they develop in very early childhood. As I mentioned before, neurofibromin is a tumor suppressor protein, and therefore people with NF1 are at higher risk of developing lots of different tumor types from benign tumors like neurofibromas to more worrying malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors, optic nerve gliomas, and brain tumors. Women are also at higher risk of developing breast cancer and are eligible for screening because of this breast cancer risk. Moving on to the ocular features, LISH nodules, which you may have heard of, are iris hamartomas. These can only be excluded by slit lamp examination. Again, they might not be present in childhood, but may be visible in adulthood. They don't cause any visual problems. They're asymptomatic. One thing we worry about in childhood is an increased risk of optic pathway gliomas before the age of seven. These may present with loss of visual acuity, proptosis or strabismus, and they do present the risk of loss of vision. However, many optic pathway gliomas in people with NF1 are stable or slowly progressive, Over many years, and some may even regress. From a neurology and a neurodevelopmental perspective, learning difficulties or behavioral problems occur in about 50 to 80% of people. Seizures are about twice as common in people with NF1 than in the general population, affecting up to 7% of patients with NF1, and they can start at any age. Scoliosis can occur in neurofibromatosis type 1, and bony dysplasias are a rare but characteristic feature. That might be picked up incidentally on x ray. So, you might see sphenoid wing dysplasia or thinning of the long bone cortices with or without pseudoarthrosis. There may also be vascular features, classically renal artery stenosis, which causes hypertension, which is why it's really important to measure blood pressure. It's also important to remember that NF1 is a really variable condition, even within families. So, a child could have lots of problems, but then you examine the parent and they are also affected
0: but all they've ever had are a few brown patches and never had any health problems. Brilliant. Thanks, Shireen. I think it's probably worth mentioning at this point that because of the pattern of clinical features and relative stability of these patients, they are good candidates for bringing into the clinical exam. So that's worth bearing in mind. But Shireen, shall we move on to think about the differential diagnosis in neurofibromatosis type 1? Sure. So
1: top of the list would be legis syndrome. That can easily be confused for NF1 because it also is characterized by multiple cafe au lait macules, and you also get axillary and groin freckling sometimes. But importantly, there's no neurofibromas, there's no CNS tumors, um, and um, there's no Lisch nodules. So it's caused by variants in the gene spread one. Another differential would be Noonan syndrome with multiple antigenes, which is also previously known as leopard syndrome. This is a lot like Noonan syndrome, has a lot of the features of Noonan syndrome, but it's distinguished by the presence of multiple antigenes, which is the name we give to any brown patches, including caffeole macules. Children with this condition would also have sensorineural deafness, and there's a higher prevalence of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Other causes of Caffiolet patches or, or macules that are similar to caffeole include McCune-Albright syndrome. In that case, the brown patches are likely to have more of a jagged edge, and constitutional mismatch repair deficiency. And you'd think of this particularly where there's an early onset of
0: tumours and a cancer family history on both sides of the family. Great. So we've been over the clinical features and some of the differential diagnoses to consider, but how is a diagnosis of NF1 actually made? That's a good question.
1: Usually the diagnosis can be made clinically if the patient meets certain criteria. And those criteria can be any two of the following. So number one, six or more cafe macules, which should be greater than five millimetres in diameter at the largest point in pre individuals and greater than 15 millimetres in greatest diameter in post-pubertal individuals. Number two, two or more neurofibroma of any type or one plexiform neurofibroma. Number three, freckling in the axillary or inguinal regions. Number four, optic glioma. Number five, two or more LISH nodules. Number six, any bony dysplasia. Number seven, a first degree relative, i.e. a parent, a sibling or offspring with NF1 as defined by the previously mentioned criteria. So you have to have two or more of those to have a clinical diagnosis. You may know that we use the NHS genomic test directory now to ensure equality of access to genetic testing throughout England. Um, And according to the test directory, we can do a test for NF1 if that patient meets the criteria that we mentioned. But usually we would target genetic testing at those where a genetic diagnosis will guide management for the patient or their family. So where there's family members, for example, that don't meet the criteria or where people want to use that information
0: for planning their family. Great. So we talked a little bit now about the diagnosis, but how do we manage patients with NF1 clinically?
1: Management is dependent on the clinical features. However, for children who are newly diagnosed, it's really important to have a minimum of surveillance,
0: including an annual review of development, annual blood pressure, and an eye review until about the age of seven. Thank you, Shireen, for taking us through NF1. I think that was a really beautiful summary of of some of the clinically relevant stuff that can come up in exams. Just to finish off, we're going to ask you the same three questions as we ask everyone who comes on this podcast. So are there any classic exam questions that pop up about this subject?
1: I think for NF1, because it's so common, I would try and know the clinical features, especially if you were to see a child in the clinical exam what you'd be looking at and where you would be looking and think about particularly how you would manage a child um, and what surveillance you might recommend. Great
0: and are there any useful resources that you'd recommend people having a look at?
1: I think Gene Reviews is a really excellent site for really comprehensive summaries of genetic diagnoses. If you're thinking about something that's more patient-centered then Nerve Tumours UK is a great charity with lots of information for patients and also for health
0: professionals great there's also that um brilliant summary sheet from i think it's the manchester genomic service isn't it that has like a nice breakdown of the clinical features and what management implications there are from mangen is that i think so i think so Yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure it's on their website so that might be worth people having a check out um if if they want to finally to finish off what are your three takeaway learning points I
1: guess that NF1 is an autosomal dominant, but very variable condition, even within families. That surveillance is really important, and it's really important to make sure that somebody has an overall holistic view of your patient in early life, and that parents know who to go to in case of difficulties. The third thing I would say is that um, most neurofibromas are not dangerous, but they can be challenging with respect to uh, causing problems due to pain or due to self-image um patients often feel that they are um
0: they can they can run into trouble with getting people to take them seriously in that and they, they can be quite difficult to manage on that front those are really useful learning points thank you shireen and thank you very much for coming on the podcast today we are really grateful for your time no problem at all it's a pleasure to be here Thank you for listening to this episode of Master the MRCPCH. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via social media. You can find GOSH Learning Academy on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. If you want to hear more about the work of the GOSH Learning Academy, you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We also have lots of exciting new podcasts coming soon. To find out more, search GOSH Pods wherever you get your podcasts.